CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The enemy is you. All right, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, March 9th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J, take it away. One of the most compelling stories, uh, in my opinion, over the last month or two, it seems, uh, that's burst in the front pages of Chicago's newspapers is the story of the activist uh, battling the proposal by the city to move a shredder from the north side of Chicago to the southeast side of Chicago, the general iron operation. It's a fascinating story on many um on money fronts and i wanted to before i bring on oscar sanchez my guest i just want to give a shout out to uh, uh brett uh, chase and michael hawthorne who've been covering this for the sun times and the tribune and i spent uh the better part of the weekend uh oscar sanchez reading up on this these guys these two reporters just give a shout out to my brothers in the press have done a very good job, in my humble opinion, of following this. I know they must be under a lot of pressure because this story goes after the powers that be in the city of Chicago. This story gets at how decisions are made in the city of Chicago, what protects economic interests, what protects one neighborhood over another neighborhood. It's a fascinating story about how Chicago works in the 21st century, how it works for some people and doesn't uh, work for other people as well. So that's my way of introducing uh, uh, introducing this topic. Brett Chase will be coming on the show next week, sometimes reporter, to uh, talk about some of his findings. Uh, I, I have, uh, I've got the fever on the General Iron story. So first, let me, uh, having said all that, let me now introduce Oscar Sanchez, uh, activist extraordinaire from the Southeast side. Oscar, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. And uh, I had a conversation with Oscar this weekend. Oscar was one of the hunger strikers. Uh, the strike, the hunger strike is over, so you're eating now, correct, Oscar? Yeah, I'm currently eating. <laughs> I miss eating so much. Well, we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, there's so much to lay out with this with this story. Uh, so, folks, uh, I was thinking about this, Oscar. I was writing notes. There's a lawsuit. Uh, there's a federal investigation by HUD. There's a fight, a battle between the own the family that owns General Irons. There, people are fighting among themselves. There's what Rahm Emanuel did back in 2018 on this. What Lori Lightfoot is doing now. Uh, there's the position of Alderwoman Sue Sadlowski Garza. Your Alderwoman on the southeast side, Oscar. This story is really complicated. Uh, yeah and very multi-layered. So let's just start with some basic introduction. Why is this story so important to you? Talk about uh, the neighborhood that uh, you live in and the impact of uh, the shredder would be on your neighborhood. Go ahead. Yeah, definitely. This this is important to me because, and I'll always emphasize this idea because folks don't get it. People will never understand this. They don't have to go through oppression is that 
when black and brown communities organize, we organize for our survival. That, that's what we have lives at stake when it comes to this. We've been having lives at stake since the industry, the steel industry was in our communities. So when it comes to this um, company moving into our area, we're thinking about all the youth. We're thinking about the, all the people affected by this literally in the radius, a mile radius of their presence. We're thinking about particulate matter. We're thinking all the contaminants in the air. We're thinking about the current 70 operations that are currently in the Southeast side. So we think about the 30 year life expectancy difference between the North side and the South side. So all these things come to mind and we think we cannot allow this to continue happening. We cannot allow these industries to be able to move to areas that are zoned, you know, for these kind of operations, but they're killing us at the end of the day. And it's the interesting part where we talk about decision makers. We have our representation. We have our representatives when it comes to our older women, the mayor, and they hold these town hall meetings and community members are saying, deny the permit. We don't want this here. And then you see what the, how far they've gone. They've added two out of the three permits already. And you ask yourself, if everybody's saying this, if all the community members are saying this, then who, who are they listening to? Who's 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 uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot listening to? And we talk about the direct exchange all the time. We don't have a direct line to Lori Lightfoot, but all the CEOs and everybody who's who's in support of her endorsing her, all the sixty billion dollar companies, not billion, sixty enterprises and companies that endorsed her on a, a publicly on a newspaper. At the end of the day, that, I mean, that's that's who her her that's those are the constituents that she prioritizes. She doesn't prioritize us. All right. Why don't you give people a sense of who the us is in that sentence? The southeast side, southeast side of Chicago is that portion of Chicago that uh, goes under Lake Michigan and meets the state of Indiana. Uh, you pass it, folks, on your way out of Chicago when you're heading out of Chicago. If you're going to Indiana, you're going to Michigan, what have you, going east. Uh, Oscar, how long have you lived there? Talk a little bit about the community that you grew up in uh, and uh, sort of its makeup. Go ahead. Yeah, definitely. So my community is, I mean, I'm biased. My, my community is a beautiful community. I love it. I mean, you have your some days, right? Some days it just smells terrible over here, but then you have your really good days, right? You have your days in the summer, you know, the weather's really nice out here. So, you know, you know, bike riding this morning was a thing with my, with my father and my brother, but you know, it's a community of folks wanting to have a better life. Folks that, you know, we, we feel on the outskirts of Chicago it really does feel right. I remember I brought one of my, my one of my friends out here, Shabaka, and he sees the cornfields. He sees some of the cornfields. It's just part of, it's, it's next to the forest line. It's nothing special, honestly. And he sees, he's like, he's like, you're bringing me out to the cornfields. He's like, I'm black. You know, you remember I'm black, right? Like I don't feel comfortable over here. And it's just a different atmosphere here in, uh, in the community. So I live in Hegwish. Uh, my father lived here um, many years. He's lived here in this house for, I mean, honestly, like maybe 30 to 40 years already. And I've lived in this house, you know, after moving so much, I, I've lived here for maybe like 15, 16 years already. And I'm 23, but we've always moved around so much. Um, lived in South Chicago, lived in Roseland and Pullman and Calumet City, a little bit in Whiting. So all this, and I've always been surrounded by industry and other folks too. Like they move around to get more affordable living situation. Um, and it, it, we do it for that. 
But you look at the neighborhood, you look at people wanting to survive, you look at people breathing, like it's normalized. Contamination, if you ask anybody five years ago, 10 years ago, nobody would think about contamination. Mm-hmm. People literally would go hang out at super fun sites, Cole Hills, that's a hangout spot. Anybody who knows Cole Hills, you know, letting you know, it's a really dangerous part that you shouldn't be hanging out at, but it's normal. It's behind a library. Um, our baseball fields have been contaminated, but it's normal, right? We, we've been playing there for years. My, bro- my older brothers, my younger brothers are playing baseball there. Um, you know, it's low income, but all these things that I'm mentioning now is just reflecting, comparing the stories of my other friends. But again, it's a really beautiful community. It's a community of workers, it's a community of working class and low income folks wanting to strive. And, you know, we, we have our cherished things. We, you know, Sundays we go to climate fisheries, get some, get some fish, or we go get some tamales from La Cienega or get some chicken. We got Heine's chicken, Gina's chicken. We love chicken. We love fish. We love all that. Um, man, I'm just thinking like, and then soccer days, you go, people go play soccer and baseball, Cayman Park. We have our stuff. We have our, we have our things that keeps, keep us going, you know? By the way, Oscar, I must uh, make this confession. I have never lived on the Southeast side in my life, but I love chicken too. Uh, all right. Now I just had to get that out there. How my love for chicken. Uh, there, there's an attitude of prejudice that folks on the North side have Oscar. I'm just going to share it with you. Uh, and it, so if I ever raise this subject, a certain type of North sider and you know, it's a private conversation. So they, they don't think I'm going to be mentioning their names, but they'll be like, Ben, what do you care? That's like where the dumps go, the southeast side. That's where you stick this stuff. That's just how this city is. That's like the, that's just the way it is in the city of Chicago. And that is an attitude, Oscar Sanchez, that I think a lot of people have in Chicago. They don't articulate it maybe. Do you follow what I'm saying? But it's kind of implied in the policies that the city implements that just essentially underscore that point of view what's your response to people who say ah what the hell just stick it there because dumps have always been there landfills have always been there you know the steel mills the the abandoned steel mill sites they've always been there go ahead oscar what's your response so when folks say it's always been the way it is right why change it i asked them okay so were you in support of jim crow were you in support of redlining where you're supportive of all these things that they were the way they were, are you going to be the one saying this should be changed? You're upholding racism. You're upholding individuals dying at higher rates. So I think people unconsciously just say these things, but they're upholding racism. And again, I always tell folks about the example of Jim Crow. I'm like, and then I let them sit on it. I let them think about it. And people don't know what to say because exactly the same way that you don't understand is because you're not living in these circumstances. You have privilege. You come from wealth. You are not black. You are not brown. You do not have to suffer. And when you can go home after a protest, being an ally, saying, oh, I can go home now? We don't have to. We, we come back home to smug, to slag. We come home to smoky skies and pollution. So when people say that, I'm like, damn, that's how a privilege sounds like. Yeah, most of the people, by the way, who say that are not, I'm going to just emphasize this point, not out. Al- they don't even pretend to be allies. They're not the people. That- <laughs> They're not. Much- <laughs> These people aren't allies. I'm going to just make that point clear, Oscar. Yeah. Uh, I, like I mean, but, but even taking that step back, right, our community folks have said it too, right? They'll say, well, we, we have been a place of industry for years. We continue to like, we should uphold this. We, we should keep wanting these jobs. And then we asked them, okay, well, 
the more years you've lived, because you're, you're an old, you, you've been here for a long time, you're like, well, have you seen asthma rates increase? Have you seen more in, of your friends that you, you're working with the factories? Are they still alive? Or are they dead? Oh, what about you? What about your respiratory issues? Do you have respiratory issues? And they'll answer and they'll, they'll like, I have issues or they have issues or I have cancer. And the people, it's about making people understand we deserve better kind of industries. And people will never understand that. You know, we push about wanting jobs, but just because we have a job doesn't mean that we're going to be living a good life. And there's studies that have proven that when you have all these industries, you're working for a job, you're making your money, and then you end up having these health issues, you end up spending money on hospital bills. Because these paying jobs are not going to give you good insurance. You end up having to pay for your inhalers, for your tests, your scans. When it comes to cancer, who's going to be paying that out of pocket? At the end of the day, you're going to be, at the end of your life, suffering in debt and with no health. So I ask those, I say the same folks in our community, what do you want for yourself? And even to take themselves out of their own, like, so like, what do you want your children to have? Do you want them to have the same jobs? I'm not saying, I'm not talking bad about those jobs. I'm saying, do you want them? You suffered and you sacrificed your body and your health and everything for your children. Do you want them to do the same sacrifices for their children? All right. Let me, uh, back off a little bit and give a little background uh, about what's uh, at stake here. For many years, as I said, General Iron operated a shredding facility on the north side of Chicago. Folks if, who are listening are not from Chicago, uh, in an area that's just on the banks of the Chicago River, just west of the Lincoln Park neighborhood of back in the 50s and the 60s, it, that section of town, Oscar, this is way before you were born, uh, was working class. Not that much unlike Southeast side of Chicago in terms of its demographic makeup, black people, Hispanic people, working class white people, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and what has happened over uh, the last 60 years has been gentrification. And the working class people moved out, the prices has gone way up and more professional, wealthier classes moved in and they immediately began to object to General Iron and this this shredding facility that they have where cars would be ground up <laughs> all hours of the night, trucks would be going in and out, coming in. And uh, meanwhile, developers were flocking to that area because there was so much money to be made by buying up the industrial land and transforming it. There's a huge uh, project earmarked for the area called Lincoln Yards, which your taxes, uh, even on the south side of Chicago, Oscar, your taxes are going yeah. to that. They they don't tell you that, but it's they are going to yeah. that. So yeah. it was inconvenient for the city to allow this General Irons facility to be in the midst of all this economic development. And so what they did was the city allowed uh, for the property, excuse me, the business to be sold from the General Irons family that owned it to this company in Ohio named RMG. Uh, and they are building a facility uh, on the southeast side to move the operation, thus freeing up the north side area for more development. So the north side gets the development and the south side gets the facility. What the city says, Oscar, is don't listen to Oscar. Don't listen to Chuck Stark. Don't listen to all those other troublemakers on the Southeast side. This is a well-run, state-of-the-art, modern facility that will not pollute, not have any... Uh, it's like the Garden of Eden, almost, actually, when I think about it. So what's your response to the city's attempt to reassure folks that this will be a state of... Even if it wasn't good enough for the North side, it'll be good enough for the South side. Go ahead, Oscar. 
Well, to start, I think about the money, money talks, right? So let's look at, they want to give $1.3 billion in subsidies to this project, right? And when I think people have the nerve, and I'm not saying anything in disrespectful, but they're like, what do you vision for your community? Give us $1.3 billion in subsidies, and I'll tell you all our dreams. I'll tell you what we want. I'll tell you the studios, the sports complexes we want. We want to build up our community, right? Even then, let's talk about more TIF funding, right? We like whoever, if you're from Chicago or going to visit Chicago, go to the Chicago River Walk. All that was built on the money of TIF funding that was supposed to go to black and brown communities to develop our places. We look around, we have abandoned schools. Rom closed down many schools, but oh wow, we have a really nice river walk. Right? <laughs> we have hospitals closing down in the south side because we don't, we're not making margins, right? Because profit over people is such a thing. Oh, but we have a nice river walk. Oh, we have Lincoln Yards. We have all these developments. And that's my response saying profit over people. They are doing profit over people any day. And not just any people, black and brown communities. Where? In low-income areas. Where? Southeast side, southwest side. Some areas in the north side that if they can't use it, they're going to gentrify it and change it so they can have their new developments and bring in more revenue. And that's where we start looking at things. They think about building the area, building infrastructure, building investments, but they don't talk about building people. They don't talk about building wealth for people. They talk about building wealth for the city. So my response is saying, you state of the art, state of the art to who, to what grade, to what? You want to talk about, oh, this is state of the art. Are you talking about following guidelines by the Trump administration? Because, oh, great, we definitely want to trust that person. And that's the thing that's really wrong. We talk all the time. We need progressive change. We need democratic change. The Democrats are going to advocate for environmental justice. But when you have Democrats not changing the policy that the Trump administration introduced and they're working on that standard, then they are just as wrong. So, uh, again, standards of who? You want to build environmental justice-based policy and based on Trump's administration? Then great. I don't trust you either. I, I had the feeling that this deal is one of classic uh, done deal, Chicago done deals. Once the Lori Lightfoot administration uh, essentially signed on, uh, the, the final uh, approval, final permit has not been delivered, I should say. It's still up in the air. But in 2019, they essentially signed on uh, to uh, having an operation on the southeast side. And then I, I put this in my, the story I just wrote. It's like out of nowhere, it seemed like opposition emerged. And uh, very effective opposition. I have to take my hat off to you guys uh, because it's kind of stopped sort of the momentum of this process. It's it sort of stopped this notion that it's a done deal. You know, Chicago's got that attitude, Oscar. Oh, it's a done deal. Oh, you can't fight it, Ben. So why are you even going to try? But I've I've got the feeling that the activists on the southeast side have have like at the very least put sand. <laughs> in front of the car so it's it's harder for the progress to be made in just completing this talk a little bit about the organizing efforts that led to the hunger strike and that i think it was that hunger strike uh oscar that really brought this notion to people's minds that this is a serious issue here go ahead talk about the organizing that took place on the southeast side so i mean we have to look back at years right we have to look at the people that started the southeast environmental task force but i i have to say you know we we have amazing leaders like um 
Peggy Salazar, Olga Batista, uh, Gina Ramirez. And, you know, they've been doing this work for years. So it's accumulation of their knowledge and expertise. Um, but this started, you know, for me personally, you know, we, I talked to Peggy Salazar, I'm like, Peggy, how can I help? What is it going on right now? What can we do? And they're like, oh, well, you know, we don't know right now, right? We're figuring things out. And the thing that people don't understand is that we have multiple things going on. We have multiple contaminants that we're fighting. We're, we have multiple permits and licensing. We have different initiatives. Like we have all this and Generion. Like it's not just one fight. So we and Peggy talked and we talked about, well, Oscar, we, we just need more people power. And I said, well, I got you. And they're like, what do you recommend? I'm like, talk to youth. Youth, we always talk about having youth be the future leaders. Youth are the leaders now. So let's get them involved. So what do we do? I'm like, what do you got? What, what do we do? Can we do a workshop with youth? Oh, we have air monitors. We can test, you know, get them involved in that. I'm like, all right, cool, cool. Let's go and do. I know the high school teachers. Let's go pitch them doing a curriculum based on air monitoring training. Have them like test the air. Pitch it to the school. When we pitch it in the school, there's three indicators. There's red, yellow, and green. Red means get out of there. You're, you're in a hazardous area. Yellow means you can be there, but not too many hours. And green's like, y'all, you're clean. We, we pitched it. The teachers wanted to see what was going on. And we, when we demonstrated it, it was already showing yellow. And they said, can you test another one? Yeah, test another one, yellow. When are, when are these maintenance? We maintenance them all the time. So we were in the courtyard in a green space in the school, and it was really yellow without having gender iron there, right? And afterwards... We took a step back and we were like, Peggy, let's just talk here and there. Let's see what, how we, what we can do next. What is next? And then it became 2020 and our, our minds were, we need to take care of the needs of the community. We started the mutual aid. We, we started the Southeast um, Response Collective. And this is organizations from all the Southeast side just wanting to help all community members. And it's the sad part. We were talking about covid and then you have families talking about the respiratory issues. They're like, I'm dealing with this. I'm scared. Who's going to take care of my children? You know, Laura Lightfoot doesn't have to hear about these things. People don't hear about these every day. I'm 23 years old and having to hear parents cry about their children. And people talk about, oh, what are the physical aspects? There's mental breakdowns we have because how do you tell a crying mother that things are going to be okay? Fast forward. We're taking care of our folks. We're maintaining food pantries. We're opening mutual aids to give money to families in need. A lot of folks are doing the work. And then, you know, the murder of George Floyd happens. And then we all the Southeast side comes together and we're like, we need to make sure that, you know, we protect our communities in response to making sure our black folks are really protected and they feel heard. We start doing protests and marches. Fast forward, we're like, we need to address racism. We address racism through teachings. Then we talk to Peggy like, hey, this polluter is coming in. Our older woman's not saying anything. UN 10, United Neighbors of 10th Ward, say we need to go to her house and keep her accountable and speak against General Iron. So then all the other organizations come with that organization and we show up to the older women's house. And from there we say every week we need a pressure some way. So we did or we did protests and organizations for BLM, moved around to environmental racism. And then from there we start building. We start organizing community members, over 200 individuals to 10 town hall meetings saying deny the permit. We had teach-ins and marches and everything just surrounding this idea that we need to protect black and brown communities. And in the final session, the final town hall meeting, we had over 500, 500 community members crying, begging, giving their cases, giving statistics, saying deny the permits. And then that's when the city 
in the late December, they said, sent a deficiency letter saying, you know, we, we need more information from G, uh, from Generion, right? This this application doesn't satisfy us. This 250-page application. And so we talk about things going behind the scenes. In two weeks, in the final week of our public commentary, the city says, we're going to give you an additional two weeks because General Iron has just submitted an application. The original one, as I mentioned, was 250 pages. Now it became 1,153 pages of technical terms and jargon that we don't understand. So we have to get our, our lawyers and, and engineers on that. And they want us to respond to that new application in two weeks. And we thought, we've escalated things with the alderman. We've escalated things with the mayor. What is it going to take for us to truly get the attention that we do, that we need for this case? And we looked at the, I always say Chicago's an organizing. I'm like, shout out to all these badass organizers that may create all this change in Chicago, like just so much change. And that's how we keep going. So we looked at the, the models beforehand, 2001, Little Village Hunger Strike, 2015, Diet High School. We spoke to Jeanette Taylor, um, their insight. And, you know, we all decided collectively, let's do a hunger strike, put our lives in line. And we decided, and I keep advertising this, 30-year life expectancy difference. If my life can prevent that from getting any further, we're going to do it. Because either way, we're going to die. Like, that's the, that's the difference that people don't see. Our community members are dying regardless at one third the lifespan of other folks. And that's ridiculous to even fathom. So we said, let's do this. And, you know, alongside Chuck, Brianna, when we first started, and then Yesenia and Jay joining and everybody else who joined after us. And the, the one day hunger strikers, we, we got international press. And the, the biggest thing is that folks say like, what do you think you got out of this? And as I mentioned together with, with Peggy Salazar, I said, we were our youth. Our youth are our leaders now because they feel inspired. Ben, I, I know you know the Southeast side, but many folks don't know the Southeast side. They don't know what the East side is. They don't know what South Daring is. They don't know what South Chicago is. They don't know any of our, our, our these locations or our homes. But with this hunger strike, we've created allies and people to know where we are. And our, our youth see us on the front page. And it's us on the front page, the Southeast side on the front page. So all this accumulation that we've done has built up the inspiration that these youth have and they're manifesting becoming the leaders that we need now. So you have, we have recognition of all these badass organizers that we had in the past and you have a lot of these young folks just taking charge as they should. Uh, so talk a little bit about hunger strike and, and I'm going to make a confession here, Oscar, and please don't make fun of me for my confession, but I can't really go like four hours without eating. I have loved food. And um, so like the dedication and the discipline uh, that it requires to go on a hunger strike, it just blows my mind. Like I'm already thinking of as I'm talking to you, what I'm going to eat when I'm done with this interview. <laughs> Man, you and me both. I'm known for three things, mainly the first two. I'm always known for eating, always known for napping, and always known for talking. If I'm not doing one of those, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. So, That's like my life, Oscar, <laughs> the big three. <laughs> anyway, continue. Go ahead. So, I, I, look, I'm known for those things. So when people were asking me, Oscar, out of everyone, how are you going to do this? 
right? You are 6'3", you're huge. I mean, you can't see me on, you, you can see me on camera. Like, like, you're huge. Like, how are you gonna stop eating? You're always talking, like, and I'm also known for the spots. I know my, my, the best places to eat in Chicago. So I know, I know food, I love food. My dad's been a chef every day. So my dad even, I'm gonna say this right now. My dad, he knows I love mac and cheese. Every other day, he makes mac and cheese, and he make an extra amount. He's like, just in case, you know, if you get you get hungry, and it's gonna be outside at night, so nobody's gonna see if you eat some, right? <laughs> and my mom too. Oh my mom, there's an expression in Spanish. I'll say it in English. She's like, she says, she'll say it rhymes in Spanish, but it, she says one is nothing. And two is half of one, and that also means nothing. So if you want two pieces of chicken, my son, have go at it. I won't say anything. <laughs> I won't say anything. <laughs> so, but the thing is, right? My mom has high blood pressure. My mom were my mom had me. You know, the first ten days were were pretty decent, right? You know, go through it, take everything I, I'm able. I'm allowed to take, but you get tired. Like I'm a high energy person. I was tired. You would hit walls. You had different spikes in energy, and then you you felt that hunger. You felt your stomach like, damn. You feel it getting smaller, and then you're thinking, am I going to be able to eat after this? Because it's a it's it's something the medics even talked about, and then it got worse. And then my mom started getting worried. She's like, you're losing weight fast, and she's like, and every night she's like, she'd be like, hey, can you come over and can you can you sleep with us? Like I'm just I'm worried. I'm like, all right, I'll come. I'll come. And she's like, can you like like just lay down? And I'm like, yeah, I'll lay down. And you see it like it's not something that just affects yourself. It's a lot of health impacts, man. I swear to you, I got scared one day. I had my dad try to check on my car. I'm like, "Yo, dad, let's shovel out the car. Let's 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 see if we can fix it real quick." And I said, "No, let's let's do it tomorrow." Right? Next day comes. I'm like, "Hey, dad, can we fix the car?" He's like, "What are you talking about?" Yesterday, after you talked to me, I decided to go. Got your brother, took the car out, fixed it, right? I came back and told you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And all my family was there. They're like, what are you talking about, Oscar? Dad, like all of us were in front of you telling him he fixed it. And I'm like, and he said, great job. And you can't look forward to driving it. And I'm like, you're kidding me. And then I literally wouldn't be able to remember things. It was, it was so, it, man, man, I was dropping sweat. I was scared. Um, Wait, even, so hold you, on. Your, your dad fixed your car, but because... Like you were losing control of your memory. You you had no memory of that. Exactly. You're so hungry. Yeah. Wow. This is around like the, the the later days in day 20s. The day 20s were terrible. Uh, how many days did you go without food? 30 days. And did you, I assume you drank water during those. So did we, you? we were drinking water. We're also allowed to drink like, like juices, um, like straight juices, like actually like, you know, from the fruits, nothing preserved because all those preservatives are messy up. And also, we took like fruit smoothies, they're like protein supplements and bone broth. But that's the minimized, like that's what we can take during a pandemic. Because if we were if we were doing a full hunger strike in a pandemic, we would be dead like that. It was such a starvation. We also all of us the beginning ones we did a one day on water only. <sighs> Yo. I'm not gonna lie to you, Ben. I, I like I'm not gonna lie to you. At some points in the hunger strike, I would tell my brother, I'm like, hey, yo, can I smell your food? And my brother would look at me, he's like, he grabbed the plate away. He's like, Don't smell my food. He's like, I don't need your crusty lips next to my food. 
Oh my God. Is that a younger brother or an older brother? Those are all younger brothers. Man, that is so cool. His his lips aren't crusty. <laughs> so I could just imagine dinner time at the Sanchez house, but when they're not on the hunger strike, fighting over that macaroni and cheese. No, throwing no, elbows no. to get at it. No, we don't, we don't have to fight over food. My dad, my dad always makes plenty. And all these times, my dad would joke. He was telling he he's like he's like he's working. He's like, yo, uh, you still on the hunger strike? I'm like, yeah, why? He's like, because now I can make less because I know you take up a <laughs> trash talking Sanchez family. So uh, 30 days, man. Wow. And so why did you uh, decide? Why did the activists decide to, to uh, end the hunger strike? Our health, you know, collectively, it was a really hard decision. We we're on a, a Zoom call. Even we were always on Zoom calls, like organizing. Um, Shout out to Zoom, but Zoom, you should definitely make your Zoom call, Zoom subscription free to organizers and people in need. Definitely. Just we got to put it out there. Um, shout out to Google for doing that with Google Meets. But but the point is, we, we were meeting. Right. And you could see the despair, um, the sadness we had. Right. We were saying, like, we want to keep going. We, we want to keep going. But our health, like. You know, some of the hunger strikers that were in the longer, I'm not going to say who, but they were they were close to passing out some days. Some of them like feared waking up and not waking up, like going to sleep and not waking up. Um, a lot of like you can feel the difference. I, I challenge anybody if you want to know how it feels like. Literally, try not eating for one day. Like literally, well, and a lot of folks did the one day hunger strikes, and after they did the solidarity hunger strikes, they said, "How do you do it?" And at the end, end of the day, I always said, "Like if we don't do this, who else is going to do it for us?" You know, we're getting our, our message amplified and people are joining this and you're adding to our collective power. But if we don't do this, who's going to be speaking for us? Alderman Garza is not speaking for us. The mayor's not speaking for us. Dr. Awadi's not speaking for us. So it was rough. And we knew what it meant for us to end the hunger strike. And we said, we need to just replenish our health because it was getting extreme. Even the medics were saying, we didn't expect for you to go to this long. We thought Lori would have responded by now. Like your health is in critical like condition right now. Like you, if we're gonna move forward, we all need to do it. Like through like we need to do a check in right now. We're, we're going through the progress and getting advice. Like but like yo, we need to get your vitals in. We need to get you in. You we need to communicate. We need to know where, how everybody's feeling. And then when we started refeeding, we found out like a lot of the symptoms people had. They're just like. It's terrible. And it's not just a toll on us. It's toll on family members. You know, we had one hunger striker. She was a mother and her, her child would just say, mom, I want you to eat. I'm begging her to eat. I mean, I'm, I come from a Latin American household and watching my mom beg me to eat. You know, you don't tell, you don't, you don't have your mom beg you to eat. That's just, like, that's disrespect in my culture. Right. Like, <laughs> so it was just different. And I didn't visit my grandma for 30 days because I know she'd want me to eat. Yeah. So when you finally broke the strike, what did you eat? What did I eat? My dad loves me a lot. I'm gonna say that right now. My dad loves me a lot. So he made the day of, he's like, looked me in the eye. He's like, are you ending the hunger strike? I'm like, yes. He's like, you're not lying to me. Like you're gonna break this for real. I'm like, yeah. He's all right. I'm gonna make you shrimp soup. I'm like, shrimp soup? He's like, yeah, I know you love it. It's this nice, good shrimp, like fish broth. Very good. It's very like, it's like, it has a spice with like this nice tangy like taste to it. You have cabbage, zucchini, and carrots to it. I don't like vegetables, but I was eating that. I was like, <laughs> this. Yo. And then you had shrimp, and I'm like, I was scared to eat the shrimp. I'm like, yo, this is meat. I'm like, I popped that sucker, and I was like, this is good. 
I waited like five minutes for it to go down. I'm like, all right. And I just ate like another 10 of those, ate 10 of those, ate like three bowls of that soup. And I was just like, I felt like, wow, like, I was like, damn, like, I'm back. Well, I got to tell you, I've never been so hungry uh, at the end of an interview, Oscar, as this interview. Uh, I, my hat's off to you guys. Uh, it's a strong stand. It forced the city to pay attention uh, to this issue, the disparity. There are the hunger strikes off, but there's, like I said, there's a lawsuit charging racial discrimination. There is uh, a, com- a racial a complaint about racial discrimination that HUD is investigating. So the federal government is involved. Uh, the city of Chicago has delayed approving the final permit. Uh, that uh, the shredder folks need to operate. Yeah. And uh, there's a political fallout uh, to this in Chicago. I, as Chicago, I don't know if they're serious about it. There's going to have to come face to face with the fact that they are moving this shredder uh, from the north side to the south side to free up land for development on the north side that's being subsidized by $1.3 billion. So it's like so obvious the, the disparity between investment in the city. And we wonder why neighborhoods are emptying out Chicago. I mean, like population follows investment, Oscar. I'm sorry, I'm going on this riff here. No, but- you're right. You're obviously, you're obviously right. I mean, people don't understand at the end of the day, you know, and this was done in record time. It was zoomed through, right? It was like people, we have to understand, like, it's hard to even start this, but when you have everybody collaborating together and it's done in record time, you're like, all right, this is suspect, right? We talk about <laughs> we talk about things that just don't make sense. This doesn't make sense. And at the end of the day, we talk about people in need and having COVID relief. And we talk about during the pandemic, out of all the time, and I hate this rat, that's a rat. If, for anybody wondering, that's a rat. Um, but I don't, Chihuahuas are considered rats, I'm gonna say that. But oh. point is, we are doing this in record time, and this is a pandemic where people are dying to respiratory issues, and people with with respiratory issues are at the highest risk. And we're doing this, right? We, not we, but the city is doing this. And you ask yourself, are they even paying attention? Are they even recognizing their flaws and their wrongs? Are they recognizing the privilege they have to say it's going to be safe and not even talking about how polluted the area already is? And the IPA is failing us saying they won't take consideration past violations from these companies. When we talk about government involvement and looking for representation, if you're ignoring the calls from those desperately in need of you most, are you truly doing your job? Oscar, before I let you go, uh, if people want to get more information or reach out to you activists, uh, is there a site they can go to? Uh, give that info out. Yeah, definitely. So if folks want to keep knowing what we're doing, I recommend following us at Chai Hunger Strike on Instagram and on Twitter. And, you know, you can also, if you'd like, you can donate to our GoFundMe. But just we're, we're not hunger striking anymore, but you can check out what we're doing. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're still going to keep fighting. Like, at the end of the day, we say, so we say, the fight keeps going. Like, and that's what folks, I want folks to, and I want to end with this note saying, like, we have this going on and we have other fights going on, but we understand the importance we have for fighting for our youth, for our ancestors, because our ancestors died literally being exploited. And we have our community currently being exploited, our land being exploited, not having the necessary developments, but we keep going because we deserve better. And voice. All right, very good.
Thanks so much, Oscar, for coming on. And uh, we'll be following this story for certain, uh, both on the podcast and in the reader. Uh, stay safe and sound. Thanks again, Oscar. Bye. Appreciate you. All right. That's great, Oscar Sanchez. What you got for me, D? Oh, we got uh, not much going on here today. By the way, that interview brought to you by Red Lobster and their new <laughs> shrimp soup. <laughs> He was talking about that hunger strike, and I was feeling it because I could tell the man loved to eat. And, but I don't know if you heard the like the three things he loves. It's like that's like my, my baby brother. He loves Aww. eating, napping, and talking. <laughs> D, that's like that. I'm out. Like that's like halfway, almost halfway to the decathlon of what I'm good at. You know, the eating. I'm really good at eating. Talking. Come on now. And napping. That's so sweet. So, yeah, really. Oscar Sanchez. I like him a lot. And uh, come on, City of Chicago. Do the right thing. You may, have found, right, you may have found your soulmate, Ben. Once this pandemic's over, hit up Oscar. I'm going down there. I'm having some of this dad's macaroni and cheese. That is that we know that. Okay. Oscar. Put another plate out there, all right? I'm on my way. All right, real quick, everybody. Uh, we talk about it at the beginning of our program, so let's talk about it at the end. A binhead. Are you a binhead? That's what we call avid listeners of this program, a binhead. You can become a binhead. Go to chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky to find out more information. Right now, I am actually at chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky, and I'll tell you what I see here, and you guys can do this, all right? Uh, so we have three tiers, three tiers of binheads, all right, uh, on this program. All right, so uh, you can either become a binhead at the Alley, you can get an Alley membership. That's right. You'll be subscribed to the Chicago Reader newsletter, and you will be an Alley member for just $5 a month or $60 a year. All right. So Ben's always talking about the Alley. You can join the Alley. Ben, by the way, can we get a porta potty update there in that back alley? Uh, hold on one second. Hey, get out. I think he's eating some macaroni cheese in oh, that porta potty. That's disgusting. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Become an Alley member. $5 a month or $60 a year. Or we have the Avenue. Yes, the Avenue subscription. Become a bin head at the Avenue level and you will be subscribed to the Chicago Reader newsletter. And you'll get a $10 discount on the brand new Ben Jarofsky book, his greatest hits, covering 40 years. Guys, I'm 37 years old. Covering 40 years of Ben Jarofsky columns at the Chicago Reader. That's $10 a month or $120 a year, the Avenue level. And we have a third tier. Oh, you are one hell of a binhead. If you sign up for this one, become a Boulevard member. At the Boulevard level, you will be subscribed to the new newsletter you will get a copy of Ben's new book. That's right. You're getting the book. And uh, you can join at $20 a month or $240 a year. So that's a way you can help out the Ben Jarofsky Show. We've been doing this show uh, over two years as a podcast. And uh, if you want to help out, you know, throw some money over to the program, well, that's a way you can do it. The Alley Club, the Avenue Club, or the Boulevard. Become a Ben Head and get that new book from Ben Jarofsky, his greatest hits. Yes, thank you, D. That was well done. And I uh, urge everybody, come on now. I was always like to say, it's kind of a little joke. You got to feed Dennis. The kid eats. He just went to Red Lobster, okay? <laughs> got to feed this guy. God damn. But uh, appreciate any support you guys get. It's a desperate time in the uh, media business, particularly if you're a lefty media guy. I'm just saying, there's not a lot of love. 
we just denounced pretty much every power that be in the city of Chicago. We're not going to have a lot of friends from the powerful set. That is for certain. I want to thank uh, Oscar Sanchez for doing an outstanding job making his show debut. I think we're going to definitely bring Oscar Sanchez back. Uh, speaks from his heart. Uh, I want to thank him for coming on the show. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And it's Oscar Sanchez. We'll tell you, back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. The enemy is you. That is correct. That is correct. The enemy... That is correct. That is correct. I want an answer. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. That is correct. That is correct.